desperation as we just seek to see you work and see you move and see you first of all change our lives and then allow us to see others' lives changed as well as you work through us. And Lord, this morning as we celebrate the remembrance of the sacrifices that have been made for our freedom, we also celebrate and remember and thank you for the sacrifice that you made for our spiritual freedom, Lord, and I thank you and praise you for that this morning. Pray that as we go to your word that you would speak, that your hearts would be changed, that your spirit would move and it would work in an incredible way in producing the fruit that you have called uh, us to have produced in our lives. So Lord, I pray that that would be the case this morning. Open our ears, open our minds, and allow your word to speak as it always does. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Well, as we've talked about uh, in our announcement time, as well as uh, just prayed about, many of you know uh, what this weekend is. Um, Hopefully, many of you understand that this weekend is about more than just having a day off of work on Monday. Uh, This is an opportunity uh, this weekend, and specifically tomorrow, to recognize the fact that many men and women have given their lives for the freedom that that we have here in this country. I'm not going to talk today a whole lot about uh, that type of freedom that we have, although we do know that we are in a free country where we can make decisions and we are not uh, under slavery in any way. Um, But as we think about Memorial Day, as we think about this time to remember those who have died to give us American freedom, um, we're going to transition that into looking at our spiritual freedom as well, and we'll look at that in just a minute. If you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, that's where we're going to be in just a few minutes when we get there. But as we talk about our American freedom, you know, I think it's fair to say that as we've watched our country grow and, and we've gone through many wars, we've gone through um, many fights and different things that have assured our freedom in not only our personal freedoms, think of the Revolutionary War, I mean that's one of the basic ones where our freedoms were first earned, you could say that, and, and all the way up through all the wars that were fought and all the fighting that America has done to preserve freedom, not only for us but sometimes even for others. But we've seen that happen and we've seen this freedom and it's taken hold of our country and we are a free nation and we know that to be true. And yet lately, I think, and everybody would agree with this, we have seen uh, a movement, if you will, um, that has abused this freedom. This American freedom that has been sacrificed for, that we have, that we have been given through the sacrifice of many, so many times that is abused and taken for granted. As you look around our country, you'll see lots of examples of this. Uh, you'll see that the fact that freedom seems to have been forgotten, that freedom was bought with a price. It wasn't just, it's not just a right that is automatically given just because. It has to be fought for, and it has been fought for, and yet that's been forgotten. And I see, the way I look at it, I see that freedom in our country has been abused through really two different ways. Freedom in our country has been abused, first of all, by what I would call rebellion. This idea of I'm going to do whatever I want, and that's what freedom is all about. And I don't care what it costs, I don't care who it hurts, and I don't care what it says about uh, myself or those around me. Uh, some examples of this, we know that there's been flag burnings. Uh, that's been coming more and more often as we see that happening. That would be an unheard of years and years ago, and now it's just a way to express our freedom. Uh, there's hate speech that is being thrown all over the place, uh, both uh, 
There's so many different groups we could talk about where hate speech is being given and, and people are deciding that my right of freedom, my rights, my freedoms of speech mean that I can just talk badly about whoever I want to talk about with no repercussions. And we've seen that be an abuse. We've seen violent protests where what once was peaceful, where we could protest what we didn't agree with, which is perfectly fine under the umbrella of freedom, has now become we're going to fight and we're going to get violent and we're going to do whatever it takes to get what we want and that's what we are free to do. I don't think I'm taking a stretch when I see this. I, I, I look at the news and that's all this is full of is everybody's trying to do whatever they can do to get their point across, to get their rights defended and it doesn't matter what ends they go to to make it happen, what means they use. And so I think it's pretty fair to say that we've seen now that there's many that are challenging authority and making their own path when it comes to freedom. Like that is what freedom means. It means we can stick it to the man and we can do whatever we want. That's what freedom means to some. But I would say there's another abuse that has been happening and has happened in the past. And this one's kind of a tricky one to talk about. Uh, because it could be misconstrued to what I'm saying. So I'm going to try to be clear here. But I think the other abuse of freedom that we've seen is this idea of moralism. And what I mean is, is uh, we decided that uh, freedom is only free as long as you agree with me. That's kind of the idea. Like, you can be free to express yourself as long as you agree with what I agree with. And I call it moralism because everybody has their own set of morals. I'm not saying this morning that we shouldn't stand up for the morals that we know that the scriptures have told us, that we shouldn't stand up for God-ordained the institution of marriage, we shouldn't stand up for life, we shouldn't stand up for moral issues that we see fleshed out in our scripture. We should stand for scriptural principles and we should not back down. And So I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying we shouldn't do that. But I will say this, I think in our country we've seen a lot of different people trying to push people to believe the way they believe or do the things they do because that's what I agree with. Uh, let's take a great example. It hasn't happened. This was happened years ago, obviously, but prohibition was an, an example of this. Well, we're going to go and we're just going to say no alcohol, and we know that that was a disaster and didn't really work out. And I'm not going to talk about yes alcohol, no alcohol today. That's not what we're talking about. I, I don't want to be. Uh, uh, ran out of here. So we're not going to talk about alcohol, okay. Uh, but, but that was an idea where people were saying, look, our country needs to say no alcohol and we need to push that on everybody. And we see that that actually did not work. It actually made things worse in a lot of ways. We think of uh, just the, the organized crime and all of that. But uh, other, uh, other examples of this might be gun control. You know, you've got some people that are like, hey, it's, it's, my, it's my right to have guns and somebody else will say, well, no, I think it's wrong to kill people, it's wrong to shoot people, so you should never have a gun. And we have this battle going on, right? It's, it's like, no, you need to believe how I believe. No, you need to believe how I believe and you can be free to believe what you want as long as it agrees with me. And that is really what is happening. I, I see that happening. And here's what freedom really means and it's hard for us because, like I said, we need to stand for issues that we know God stands for. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. But at the same time, we need to understand that what's going to change this country isn't getting people to see things how we want them to see it, but it's going to be changed by people coming to know Jesus. And so if we push our agenda or someone else pushes their agenda against us and says, you can be free as long as it agrees with me, that is not what freedom truly is. And that is an abuse of our freedom. It's making the issues bigger than freedom itself. The truth of the matter is, freedom means that you and I are free at times to be wrong. And yet sometimes we forget that. But here's the thing, as we talk about our Christian freedoms, or talk about our American freedoms, uh, this is not where we're going to sit all morning. I, 
uh, we're going to move on because we're going to talk about our Christian freedom as we see in Galatians chapter 5, but I believe that many Christians have fallen into the same two extremes that people have fallen into in, our, in America. I believe that our Christian freedom, the freedom that Christ died for to give us freedom from the law, from sin, from death, all those things which we'll talk about in just a minute, that freedom that he's bought for us so many times we can abuse. And I think it's one of two ways we abuse this. The first one is what we just talked about. It's, it's moralism, or what I'm going to call for the rest of this sermon, legalism. You probably have heard that phrase before. But it's this idea that I'm going to force you to live in a way that I think you should live, because that's the way I feel is right. And we're going to see that we've done that as Christians. It says we need to obey rules to earn God's grace. I need to obey certain rules to earn God's grace, and you need to obey those same rules so that you can earn God's grace. That is a misuse and an abuse of our freedom in Christ. And then the other one, though, is just as prevalent, and I would say that would, I'm still going to call it rebellion. This idea of we can live how we want because God has given us grace. Well, since I'm free, I'm just going to do whatever I want, I'm, and I'm just going to do it because, hey, I'm forgiven, I'm good to go, God has given me grace, so now I can live however I want and don't have to worry about anybody else but myself. And I think our freedom in Christ can be abused in one of those two ways. Either we try to push people to do what we think we need is right all the time. And I'm talking about things not just in Scripture, but I'm talking preferences. I'm talking things that we hold dear and we want other people to hold dear. And so we place more importance on it than we should. And that becomes very easy. It graduates into uh, legalism. But also there is this idea of rebellion within our church. I don't care what other people think about certain issues. I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm free in Christ. And I think those two extremes are going to be very detrimental to our Christian growth. And so the book of Galatians, as we get there this morning, addresses this very issue of freedom. Actually, the whole book basically is talking about Christian freedom versus legalism. uh, And then it also has some ideas of this rebellion as well. And uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of background because we're starting in chapter 5. But I don't want you to miss what happened before chapter 5 because then you wouldn't know why chapter 5 even is here. Um, Real quickly, as we look through the book of Galatians, if you wanted to see what's happening, Paul had gone through and he had evangelized to the church or the churches in the Galatian region, and he evangelized to them. Many got saved. He shared the gospel, and churches were started. That is the... That is how Paul did things, right? He goes in, he, gets, he gives the gospel, people get saved, and then churches are started, and, and that is what Paul had done through the, the region of Galatia. Uh, and now, only a few years later, most scholars believe, there's this thing that started popping up. After he had left, now all of a sudden, false teachers who are teaching a different gospel than the one that Paul had been preaching have now come to the church So Paul sets up the church, he preaches the real gospel, he leaves and someone comes behind him and starts perverting the gospel and starts drawing people away in Galatia. So now it's his, he, he feels it's his calling and it is as, uh, to, to write them a letter, to warn them about what's happening. And uh, we see this in, uh, just in, in case you're wondering about this, Galatians 1.6 tells us about this idea. Um, 1.6, he says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ. So right there at the beginning of the book, we see that that is Paul's reason for writing. He's saying, you guys are starting to fall for some stuff you shouldn't be falling for because you're being taught a different gospel. So in chapters 1 and 2 after that, Paul takes the time to defend himself, and not in a selfish way, but Paul takes the opportunity to say, look, this is why 
I brought you the true gospel. Why, I am really the true teacher because I'm teaching the truth. And he goes through what he's done in ministry, what he's taught them, and he points, he paints this picture that shows himself as a true apostle that has brought the true gospel, that Jesus died, rose again, and gave freedom. And he's given that gospel, and he, he establishes that for the first couple chapters. So he defends that, then he gets to chapters, the end of chapter 2 to, through chapter 4, uh, Paul specifically starts addressing this false gospel that has come into the, into the church. This false teaching, and this false teaching is this, that the law, the Old Testament law, specifically circumcision, uh, when we talk about circumcision today, when we read that in Galatians chapter 5, keep in mind that that's really talking about obeying the Jewish law. Like you need to do certain things to please God, to, to, to make yourself right in the eyes of God, to justify yourself. You need to do things. And you need to follow the Jewish law, circumcision being one of the biggest ones, because that was how you identified yourself as, a, as the people of God. And so when we read circumcision in here, we're talking about how the Jews... They were circumcised in order to show that they were God's people. And now uh, people are saying, well, you need to be circumcised along with knowing Jesus. It's this Jesus plus type of attitude. And, and so people are saying, look, you need to obey the law. It's not just enough to follow Jesus. You need to obey the, the law and become a Jew, really, is what they're trying to say. And Paul addresses this false teaching, and then he says, look, no, it is not the law that justifies us, but he reaffirms that it is only, only faith in Jesus that justifies us, that makes us right with God. Only faith in Jesus, believing in him and committing our lives to him, that is where we find true freedom and that is where we find justification. Galatians 3.16, if you want to turn just back a chapter or two. Galatians 3.16. I think I wrote the wrong verse here. Of course, I do this every week, don't I? Um, Okay, we're going to go back. Um, okay, here we go. Yeah, we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed to be everyone that does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one ju- is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And we'll also see this throughout, but that is just one verse that talks about this idea that faith is what justifies and not obeying the law. Faith is what justifies, not obedience to a strict standard of law. So that does bring us to our text today as we get, so we see this picture that Paul is defending the true gospel and he's defending against this false gospel of adding law or rule keeping to having faith in Jesus. And that brings us to chapter five. Let's turn there and read. Galatians chapter five. It's the whole chapter. Let's read this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again that to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, and you would be justified by the, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. 
For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. But in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying this truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? If that is the case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were once called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. As we look at chapter 5 in Galatians today, I want to look at four things that we need to understand about our freedom that will help us to grow in our Christian walk, that will help us grow as spiritual people. And the first thing that we can understand from this chapter, this first point, is how freedom is delivered to us. We need to understand where our freedom even came from if we're expected to know what it means to live in freedom. And so we're going to look at the deliverance of freedom. Knowing the source of our freedom will help us understand it better. So the deliverance of freedom in verses 1 through 6. The deliverance of freedom. And here's what we see first and foremost. We are free through faith in the work of Christ alone. We are free through faith in the work of Christ alone. Verses 1 and 6. For freedom Christ has set us free. We don't set ourselves free. And that's what it says in verse 1. But then also as we get on to verse 6. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, only faith working through love. So we see that the only reason that we can truly be set free, uh, that we can truly be set free is through Jesus Christ and his work and his work alone. And you say, well, how are we free? What do you mean by free? Well, that is a good question because we need to define that. And I would say this, uh, if we go back to the book of Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 defines what this freedom looks like that we have been given through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 tells us about this freedom. And it'll help us to understand a little bit more about it. Romans 8 verses 1 through 2. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and from death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin 
in the flesh. And we could go on and we could read that whole chapter. Romans 8 is a beautiful chapter. But what we understand through these first couple verses in Romans chapter 8 is what does freedom look like? Freedom means we don't face condemnation. Freedom means that we are set free from sin and from death. We no longer have to obey death and sin. And when they tell us, when our flesh comes up, we don't have to do what our flesh wants us to do. We have freedom from that. And then what we're told also in this passage is that the law, remember talking about circumcision, the law couldn't do that. The law cannot free us from sin and death. Only Jesus Christ and his sacrifice can free us from sin and death. We do not have to follow the desires of our hearts. We do not have to follow the evil desires of our hearts. Let's put it that way. And as a result, then, the law does not work. Jesus is the one that works because sinful sin was punished in Jesus' flesh. That's what we see here in Romans chapter 8. And then if we, we read Galatians chapter 3 just a little bit ago, Galatians three eleven through 13. So we see that if we're free from sin and death and the law couldn't do it, now we see that we are free from the curse of the law. The curse of the law is the idea that following the law couldn't get it done. Following the law could not give us justification. It was a way that God showed us our sin, showed us our need for a Savior to come and save us. And Jesus is the one who came, gave his life. He died after living a perfect life. He gave his life for ours so that we could be justified, made right in the eyes of God. That is what we are told in Romans and then what we're told in Galatians chapter 3. That no longer do we have to submit to that yoke, that slavery of the law and trying to obey everything even though it was impossible to do. There was really no hope there. Now there is ultimate hope in Jesus Christ. And we are free. We are free to live and know that Jesus has paid the price for us. And we can live in love for him. And that is the freedom that we now have. So that is the freedom we're talking about. And that freedom, once again, only comes through Christ alone. So as we talk about this deliverance of freedom that it comes from Jesus, we also see this idea that Paul writes about here in Galatians chapter 5, that we turn from the grace of Christ, this this grace that we've been given through Jesus, we turn from that grace when we forsake freedom and go back to the slavery of the law. This this, This really makes a whole lot of sense if you really think about it. When we forsake freedom and go back to the slavery of the law, we are basically spitting in the face of Christ and saying, what you did does not matter. I need to take things into my own hands. I need to figure out how I can justify myself. What you did, yeah, that's great, but I don't believe it. That's really what you're saying when you start saying, I've got to do certain things. I've got to obey certain rules. I've got to be circumcised. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And that is what's going to please God. That is taking away from Jesus. That is really mocking his sacrifice in many ways. Verses 2 through 4, as we look at these, it says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, or if you follow the law, Christ will be of no advantage to you. The advantage that Christ offers of total freedom is gone if you decide to go back to circumcision. And he says in verse 1, don't go back to a yoke of slavery. And then he talks about this. And then verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, if you want to start obeying the law, you better obey it all because that's the only chance you have and nobody has that chance, by the way. There's no way that you can obey all the law. Even if you disobey one time, you've broken the whole thing. That's what James tells us. And so there's no hope there. And then he says, you are severed from Christ. 
you who would be justified by the law, for you have fallen away from grace. If we are dependent upon ourselves, we are no longer dependent upon Jesus. That is the point here. And when we depend on ourselves, once again, we are making a mockery of the sacrifice that Jesus gave. We are making a mockery of that fact. And when we choose instead uh, to live in a way that we try to justify ourselves, we are turning our back on him. That is what Paul is saying here. And so we see that this is an idea that, that he says, don't forsake the grace of Christ. Don't forsake freedom and go back to slavery. Honor the grace that you've been given. We have a, a historical example of this in a couple different places. First of all, if you go back to the Old Testament, uh, you know the story of Israel. They, get, they, they grow to a huge nation while they're in Egypt. They, be, they put, put under slavery in Egypt. Moses comes and he delivers. God delivers his people through Moses. Moses brings the Israelites out. And remember what they said. Does anybody remember? Yeah, oh, we're going to die. We're going to die here. So you know what? What would be better? Let's go back. Let's go back to slavery. It wasn't, and this wasn't easy slavery. I mean, they were being beaten. They were being pushed to make bricks out of nothing. And, and this is the type of slavery that they were facing. And yet they were willing to say, you know, I know God let us out. I know God did a lot of miracles along the way. Even after the Red Sea, they're still saying the same thing. They're still saying, hey, it'd be better for us to go back. We read that and we think they're crazy, right? They're crazy people. But are we quick to do the same thing sometimes? Where instead of living in the freedom that Christ has given us, we are tempted to go back to thinking that we have to somehow please him by the way we work. There are works and what we do is good. And, and sometimes we can go back to slavery. And Paul says, don't do that. It's turning your back on Christ when you do. The last point I want to make here about the deliverance of freedom is not only are we free through the faith and the work of Christ and that we are reminded that we, if we turn away from that work and we turn away from that grace that we are really not doing what we're called to do. Finally, we see here in verse 5 that we live in freedom as we wait for Jesus to come back. That's part of the reason why this text actually came about, by the way, because I was looking for more about last week's sermon where we talked about the coming of Jesus and how we should live in light of him coming back. And I came across this passage and I thought, in context here, this is beautiful. Because what is basically being said here is that we live in freedom in knowing a couple things. We know about Christ's past work, that he died for us, he rose again for us, he made a sacrifice for our sins. But we also live in freedom because we look forward. In verse 5, this is what we read. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. The idea of waiting here is, is pointing towards the coming of Christ. It's pointing towards the time when we are finally made completely righteous, where we are uh, made practically righteous, when God redeems everything about us at the end. And so our freedom is rooted in Christ's past work, his present work, and also his future work. And so we can be free in knowing that it's not about law, it's not about obeying the law or obeying rules or doing things or working for salvation because not only did Jesus already accomplish that for us, but also as we live, we are looking for his return. And we can live in freedom with that and that he will make us righteous. We can't make ourselves righteous. That is also the reminder here. Christ is the one who makes righteous, not us. And so we see that's, our, that's how our freedom is delivered. It's through Jesus. It's through his work in the past, in the present, and in the future. That is how we can be free. That is how we can be free from sin, death, and the law. 
All right, so now we've, since we've seen our freedom comes through faith in the past, present, and future work of Christ, and not by following the law or a set of rules, there's really no room to be distracted by legalism. So this first extreme we can go to when we look at our faith, our freedom in Christ is legalism. So we're going to talk about the distraction, the distraction of legalism in verses 7 through 12. In verses 7 through 12, we see this distraction that has come to the Galatian believers. It says, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This is the persuasion is not from him who calls you. Law following is not from God. It is a man's thing. Man is teaching you. Man is teaching you to follow the law and do certain, certain things and follow traditions and be circumcised and put things in your own hands and justify yourself. That is not God's law. That is not what God has said. And that's what Paul wants to make clear here. God has told us that through Christ we have freedom. And, since, and when we decide to take things in our own hand, we're doubting what he has said. So law following is not from God, but man, he talks about that. False teaching will multiply through the whole church. Verse 8, um, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This idea, this verse here, is this, this can be seen, okay, it's a little teaching, so what if I get circumcised? It's not really a big deal. I can still believe a lot of other things. And was, I just, following the law, I'm just adding it to. I'm just adding it to knowing Jesus. You know, I'm just adding it, and that's fine. Uh, but here is what Paul says. He says, just like if you think about bread, if you add a little bit of yeast, it's going to make the whole thing rise. Okay, so in other words, you may think it's just a little thing and it's not going to affect anything, but not only is it going to grow into your life and destroy your life, but it'll also grow throughout the church. And it'll spread. And it'll destroy things. Uh, And yeast, just like it permeates the whole dough, so will one compromise of truth. And so this idea of legalism, if it's allowed to be taught in the churches, it'll come to the point where it'll expand and it will destroy the church. Those teaching legalism shouldn't be followed and will receive punishment. We see that next point here after uh, the leaven idea. In verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In verse 9, and then I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. And so what we see here is that the false teacher, this is a serious business. God cares that this is being taught, and Paul is saying, look, the person that's teaching you this false gospel is going to be punished by God. Now, what that looks like, we don't know. It seems like Paul doesn't even know who the person is that's teaching this false gospel. And yet he says that person, God knows, and God will punish. So it is serious to lead people's, uh, God's people astray with false gospels or with this idea of legalism. So if someone gets up here and preaches to you that you have to obey certain rules in order to please God, you need to get rid of that person or you need to leave because the, the, the leaven that is in that lump is going to continue to grow. That is not what God has called us to preach or to teach. And finally, legalism is a fearful compromise of truth. Paul writes about this in verses 11 and 12. He says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul says here, first of all, that if, if Paul were to say, all right, you know what? I understand what you're saying. I'll preach Jesus and circumcision. So you come to Jesus in faith and you get circumcised and then you can be right in God's eyes. He's like, I could do that and then I wouldn't be persecuted. Why does he say that? Well, because the very offense to the Jewish people and to all those around is that the very message of Christianity is there's nothing you can do. The the major offense of Christianity is that this is not dependent upon you. Remember, we are people that want to take everything in our own hands. We want to be independent from the time of the fall. That was the whole point. We want to be independent and rule our own destiny. And so 
when Paul says, look, circumcision and law-keeping, that is not what is going to save you. That's not what's going to justify you. That is the offense, because he's saying faith in Christ alone is what is needed for justification, and people don't want to accept that. Because people don't want to accept that it's not dependent upon them whether they are justified. Because we all want to have our lives in our own hands, and Paul says that's not the case. I preach Christ and I preach the cross, that his sacrifice for our sins is what makes us righteous. It is not keeping a law. And so he says, so if I were to do that, if I was to preach both, then nobody would care because, hey, everybody's happy. Okay, he preaches Jesus, but at least he's still holding to circumcision, so that's fine. And he says, look, obviously I'm not preaching that, so don't fall for it. And then finally, this little phrase, I've got to talk about it because it's in here, but I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Okay, at first you're thinking, man, Paul, wow, Ooh, you're pretty rough here. First of all, I want to say, yeah, I think he does take us that seriously, that he, just, he is angry, and I think he has the right to be angry because the false gospel is coming to the church. But if you look at this context, as Paul has been talking about circumcision, what he's really saying here is, look, if you're going to say you need to be circumcised, you might as well go all the rest of the way and just... Go all the way, if you know what I'm saying. And so he says, you know, don't stop there. Keep going. So basically, if you're going to try to justify yourself, then you might as well just do everything you possibly can and give up everything and just go for that and try to do everything in your own strength. Don't just sell out completely. And that is what Paul is really saying there. But I think it is partly a little bit of anger as well because of this false teaching. And so we see that there's a distraction of legalism that has come into the Galatian church And I would say that distraction of legalism can easily come into our church as well. Our American churches, our church here, where we start to think that, well, if we we need to obey rules along with believing in Jesus, and that is a very scary thing. And there are churches and denominations that would preach and teach that. And that that lump, that leaven is going to just it's going to grow. So the distraction of legalism is not the only abuse of freedom, however, that we encounter. The distraction of legalism is not the only abuse. The other end of the spectrum, we see that we can abuse our freedom also through sinful rebellion. You see, so you say, okay, so no law, great. Get rid of, go, get rid of the law and I'm just going to start running and doing whatever I want because the law has nothing to do with my life anymore. All the rules that God has given in his word, well, okay, they're just options. I don't need to follow them. I can just do what I want to do because I'm saved and Christ has given me freedom. Well, I think Paul knows that, that, that people are going to start thinking that, so he, he addresses that next. Uh, in the desire of rebellion. He addresses this desire of rebellion in verses 13 through 15, and then also we're going to look at 19 through 21 that will help talk about this passage a little bit too. Verse 13, uh, this is what we read. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. See, Paul wants to say right now, wait, let's put the brakes on. I've just told you not to be legalistic. I've just told you not to follow the law, that that's not what justifies you. But let's not go the other extreme and let's not just throw the baby out with the bathwater and just decide that we're going to live however we want. Paul says specifically here, he says um, that our call to freedom is not a free pass to indulge in any desire we want. A free pass to indulge in our selfish desires. Our call to freedom is not to be free to indulge in our selfish desires. And... When he talks about flesh here, when I say selfish desire, that is what flesh means here, by the way. As he says here uh, in, in in this verse, you're called to freedom, but only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That idea, he's not just talking about our physical body. He's talking about our our selfish nature, 
our sinful, selfish nature that looks only out for ourselves. And he says, don't indulge your selfish desires just because you are free. Verses 19 through 21 gives us some examples of what that fleshly, selfish desire could look like. As we look at verses 19 through 21. I know we're skipping a few, but we'll get back. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul doesn't only say don't, des- don't indulge your selfish desires. He gives us a list of an example Remember, he says, and other things at the end of this. This is not an, exclu- an exhaustive list. But what do all these things have in common? Well, I've seen several sermons and several commentaries that break these down into several, several areas or, or uh, several subjects. Uh, and I think you could do that. You could look at the sexual part. You could look at the relational part. You could look at uh, the addiction part. But I think all in all, as you look at all of these things, all the way from sexual immorality, all the way down uh, to, uh, to envy, drunkenness, and orgies, all, all, the way, all the way through, even envy, we got divisions, we got strife, how about anger, all these things are mentioned here. And what do they all have in common? They all serve ourself. They're all selfish. Just look at that list and think about it. The only reason we would do any of those things is because we want to please ourselves. We want to look out for our pleasure, for our good. We, want to, we get offended easily so we have bouts of anger. It's all about us. And that's the whole point of the flesh here. Is that in the flesh, in our sinful nature, the only person we care about, the only person we love, the only person we serve is ourselves. That is what we are in the flesh. And he says, don't go back. Don't indulge your selfish desires. Don't indulge selfishness. So don't look at this list and say, oh, I haven't done any of these things. I'm good. There's so many more selfish things that we can do. And so it's about selfishness there. And so back to verse 13, then we see our next point here. Our freedom leads us then to love, not to selfishness. Our freedom leads us to love, not selfishness. Um, verse 13, back, to, back there we see this. For you, are, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I hope you're seeing that there's a, there's a change here. And then in verse 14 we also read this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Here's the, we see this, this contrast here. We see, first of all, don't use your freedom as an excuse to be selfish, but instead, use your freedom to love. Use your freedom to serve others. You see the difference? It goes from serving ourselves to serving others. Our love for God should cause us to love others. And so then we see in verse 15 that I just read, our freedom does not allow us to fight with one another. Our freedom does not allow us to fight with one another. I want to take a few minutes to talk about this, and I know my time is going, but here's the thing. I, as I've looked at churches, as I've looked at the whole of churches, what are the most fights and church splits over? It's usually not doctrine. It's usually not uh, immorality. Usually church splits and problems that happen in the church are over issues of preference. Whether or not you should go to theater, whether or not you should drink, whether or not you should dance, whether or not you should... Uh, 
uh, watch certain TV shows, whether or not you should listen to certain music, whatever it might be. Uh, of course, then you also know the carpet, but that's a whole other issue. Uh, so uh, the colors of carpet, which is still selfishness, by the way. I want green, you want blue, you want black, you want yellow. Okay, we need to start four churches with different color carpets. No. It's all selfishness. Selfishness is what causes problems in the church. And so Paul says here, look, our freedom does not allow us to fight with one another. Just because I may be free to do one thing that you might not feel free to do does not mean that we should split over it, that we should fight over it, that we should have a problem with it. Uh, We should be able to work with one another and not fight against one another. Another passage that talks about this very thing, and we do need to turn here because I think this is vital to what we're looking at today, Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 talks about this very issue of fighting with one another over preferences, over uh, our freedoms. Romans 14, 1 through 3. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person only eats vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. What's the point in this passage in Romans chapter 14? It's pretty simple. As we experience Christian freedom and we are not bound by the law anymore, that does not mean that I'm going to be free to do everything. There are things that my conscience and what my heart says not to do. And you may not agree with that. And I, you know, I said I wasn't going to talk about drinking, but that's a great example. Personally, my commitment and where I feel is I cannot drink and have a good conscience doing it, so I don't. Now, you may drink. I'm, the whole calling of us is right now is not for me to look at you and say, you're not living a godly life because I saw you having alcohol. And it's not your job to look at me and say, well, you're not very godly because you don't believe you're free to drink alcohol. That is the whole point that Paul is getting to. That we are not to judge each other for either our doing something that is a preference or lack of doing something. And he says, look, we need to accept one another. Who are we to judge? Let God be the one to judge those things. If you feel that somebody is living in a way that you, it just kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit, and you're like, I really wish you wouldn't do that, but you know it's not really a scriptural command, well, just pray that you can release that angst that you have and realize that God will deal with it however he wants to. But we need to not quarrel. We need not fight or quarrel or judge one another. And that passage, by the way, it goes back to the stumbling idea. Some people were eating meat that was sacrificed to an idol. And some people were saying, no, 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 you should not do that. That's not okay. Paul says that's actually somebody who's weak in the sense that they don't quite understand faith completely. But he says, don't, don't divide over that. If the person wants to eat meat, let them eat meat. If they don't want to eat meat, then don't let them eat vegetables. That's the idea there. And so the same idea is seen in Galatians that we've been looking at here is that we do not judge or quarrel with one another over our freedom. All right, that gets us to our final point this morning. Uh, since we can be distracted by the self-righteousness of legalism, And we can also be distracted by the desire of selfish rebellion. We must have a plan then to defend the freedom that we have in Christ. Since it is so easy to be distracted by self-righteousness, and it is so easy to fall into the desire of selfish ambition or selfish rebellion, we need to have a plan to defend ourselves against those extremes. And what is that plan of defense as we look to defend freedom? The defense of freedom in verses 16 through 26. For the sake of time, I'm not going to look at all of those verses again because we've already read them. But what we can see in these verses is this. 
Walking by the Spirit is our defense against our selfish flesh. Verses 16 through 21. First verse right here in verse 16. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. That is the whole point of the next few verses that Paul is writing about. If we walk in the Spirit, that is our defense against our selfish flesh. When I talk about our selfish flesh, I'm talking about our legalism. Remember, that is serving ourself too, because we're justifying ourselves. And I'm also talking about rebellion. Both ways we are being selfish. And Paul says, if you don't want to be selfish, here's the answer. Walk in the Spirit. We'll get in just a second what that looks like, what walking with the Spirit's all about here. But here's one point I want to make right off the bat. Paul does not say here to fight the desires of the flesh on our own or fight it when it comes. Here's what Paul is really saying. If you're walking in the Spirit, if you're following God, if you are loving others, if you are doing what you are called to do, then the flesh will be much less likely to take you over. It's the idea of taking preventative measures as opposed to reactional responses. It's this idea of don't wait until the flesh is already here and he's, you're raging, he's raging against you and wants to take you away. Don't then say, okay, now I need to pray and I need to get out of this temptation. No, what Paul is saying is walk in the spirit and then you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. So many of us might struggle with a certain sin, some area of selfishness in our life that we can't seem to have victory over. And we think, if I can just do these certain steps or if I can find a way to not do this certain thing, then my walk with Christ will get better. But actually, we've got it opposite. Paul says, worry about your relationship with Christ and then your sin will fall away because when you're focusing on Jesus, when you're walking in the Spirit, when you're walking with God, the stuff that distracts you will be less distracting. Does that make sense? That is what Paul calls us to do. He says, look, walk in the Spirit and then you won't fulfill those desires. Don't battle the desire when it comes, but plan for it and be ready. Your defense is to be walking in the Spirit. And then we see in the verses 19 through 24 this very obvious thing, that the works of the flesh that we listed earlier uh, are in opposition. They are opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. The, the works of the flesh are based on us. The fruit of the Spirit is based on God. In other words, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are opposed to one another. You can't have both. Like, they are polar opposites. Like we already looked at, it's selfishness versus selflessness. There's a difference. It's only a letter, I believe, but it's a big difference. Uh, Our selfish desires lead to sin and destruction, verses 19 through 21, that whole list we saw, and then it says we can't inherit the kingdom of God if we are living in those ways. And so our selfish desires will lead us to sin and destruction. However, as we look at the fruit of the Spirit... That is produced in us. Christ produces the fruit of the Spirit within us. Whereas the works of flesh are all about us. Like, I'm going to serve myself and I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do it in my own strength. That is the works of the Spirit. You're working because it's you. But see, it's not... Paul doesn't say, don't do the works of the flesh, but do the works of the Spirit. He says, don't do the works of the flesh, but have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that God is producing within your life as you walk with Him as you walk with God, as you obey him, as you listen, as you love him, he will produce fruit in your life. Here's an interesting thing that I learned not too long ago, and maybe some of you have heard this, but in this passage, where we get to this point of the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22, let's listen to it, and then I have something to say. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What do all these have in common? They're not about us. They're about others. They're about God. They're 
they distract away from us and instead to what is more important. But here's the thing. These are many different characteristics, but we are not told that we should have the fruits of the Spirit, but that we should exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And you say, what does that matter? Who cares? It's one letter. Well, this is what it matters. These words are meant to be taken together as a whole. This is the type of person you should be. As you walk and submit to Christ, the type of person you should be should be selfless and loving. All of these have something to do with being selfless and loving. And he's calling us to be that type of person. If we look at it as fruits in general, what's going to be the danger is this. Well, you know, okay, I'll look at this list and yeah, I'm pretty good. I, I have joy a lot. I'm a happy person. Uh, I can be patient with most people. Um, and, and yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, but oh, phew. Gentleness? No, that's not me. I, I just like to really blast people. Uh, kindness? Yeah, same thing. Like, I'm just, mm, mm, that's tough. Uh, yeah, peace? No, I like to fight. And we say, okay, well, at least I have most of the fruits. I might not have all of the fruits, but at least I have a few. I can work on the others. That's the danger. Now, all of these things together make us a selfless, loving person. And that's why Paul uses all these examples. It's not so that we put them into a list and decide which ones we're good at and which ones we're not. That's not the point here. It's not to compare ourselves to others either. Say, well, I have four of the fruits, but that person only has two. Okay, that's not what it's about. It's about loving one another, and it's about looking and saying, this is what a selfless, loving person looks like. And finally, I think Paul brings this all together. Walking in the Spirit, what is it? Walking in the Spirit is walking in selfless unity, verses 25 through 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Then he says this, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There's a lot of questions in church circles and in different denominations, what does it mean to walk with the Spirit? And we could spend all day debating all the different things about the Spirit, and it would take a long time and probably would take a week. But here's the thing. What we do know is that walking with the Spirit exhibits one thing, that we can know beyond any shadow of a doubt, there is no debate over this, when we are walking with the Spirit of God, when we are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, the way that that's going to look is it's going to look as unity. It's going to look to be unity. Selfless unity with one another. When we can put our own desires and our own selves behind and say, you know what, it's not about me, it's about Him. It's not about me, it's about you. It's not about me, it's about God, loving God and loving others, which I'm called to do. And when we live that type of life, that is what walking with the Spirit is. It's relying on God to help us love one another because in and of ourselves we can't do that. In and of ourselves the flesh takes over. So we're reminded that Jesus has given us freedom. And that freedom is that we can walk in selfless unity and love with one another. So we see we are called to freedom through Christ that has no room for either legalism or rebellion. Neither of these things should be true of our lives. We shouldn't enforce rules that shouldn't be enforced. We shouldn't feel like we can do whatever we want at the expense of whoever and it doesn't matter. We can only fully embrace Christ's freedom that he has given us when we allow the Holy Spirit to change us from selfish people to people who are free to love others. You see, there was a sermon I listened to, and the idea was this. It, the, the main point was this. Our freedom is not for us. Our freedom is for others. We are free to love. We are free to love, and that's the whole point. So in conclusion, a few questions just to leave you with. First of all, have you found true freedom through committing your life to Jesus Christ? Some of you are saying, I don't know what this freedom is like. I, 
Maybe, maybe you're a person who thinks that you have to obey a bunch of rules to make God happy, and then maybe someday when you die, you might have a chance to go to heaven. And you're one of those people that are sitting right here, and you are relying on your own works. Well, the Bible is very clear that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to God's mercy that we are saved. And, and so you need to come to him, and you need to ask Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, rose again to prove that he had power over sin and death, and is saying, just commit yourself to me, and I will show you Freedom, real freedom. You don't have to be bogged down by feeling, I don't know, am I a good enough person to make heaven or not? That's not the point. Or maybe you're on the other end of the, spec- of the spectrum and you're like, I don't really know if I want to accept Jesus because I enjoy the freedom I have. Like, I want to be free to do whatever I want. And, I, and you know, all my sin, I, I like my sin, but yet I know there needs to be something more. Maybe that's you and you want to find real freedom. That's not freedom just to do whatever you want and to destroy yourself, but freedom to care and love for other people. If you want that type of freedom that Christ offers, then you need to come to him again and commit your life, either of you, commit your life to him and say, Lord, I believe in everything you are and everything you've done, and I come to you in faith and I repent in the sense that I'm turning away from my selfish life and living for you. That is what we're called to do, and if you haven't done that, make today the day you do that. Talk to somebody who brought you. Talk to myself. We'd love to share with you, once again, how you can have a freedom through the gospel of Christ. Next couple of questions are for us who are sitting here as Christians. Are you trying to please God by obeying rules rather than allowing God to work through you? Or are you living for your selfish desires instead of looking for ways to love and serve others? These are questions only you can answer. You see, legalism and rebellion will not lead to true Christian freedom neither way. Only loving others in light of our faith in the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we'll experience true freedom. So if you find yourself obeying rules rather than allowing God to work, or if you find yourself living for yourself instead of him, there's a problem. And that's not true Christian freedom, and you are not experiencing what God has has given to you. And finally, are you judging others for their lack of law following? Or are you judging them for having too strict of standards? In other words... Like we talked about. Are you looking at somebody and says, you're doing this and you shouldn't be, and therefore you're a bad person and you're not going to be pleasing to God? Or are you on the other side and saying, man, you're so strict and you're so straight-laced. You're, you're a legalist and therefore you're not okay. Now, not all people who want to obey certain laws or do things are legalists. They might just, their conscience might say, this is how I want to do it. It doesn't mean that they're finding justification through it. It just means they feel comfortable in not in obeying a rule. And that's okay. And it should be. We should have wisdom and love for one another so that we do not judge one another either way. That is what true freedom is all about. True Christian freedom is about walking in the Spirit. True Christian freedom is about the freedom to love one another. And that's where we'll end this part. We'll come and sing a final song. And as we do, let us remember that we are free. We are free to love. That is what we're called. That was a great song to end on. I also want to end with a passage of scripture that I believe as we read back to Romans, because Paul said a lot about the same idea in Romans. I think in Romans chapter 12, we see what genuine Christian freedom truly looks like. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 
contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And with that, I pray as we go forth that we would truly be free to love. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this service, for this morning, for these people. I thank you for the love that we can have, and I pray that you would allow us to be free. Not free for our own good, but free for others. And Lord, I do pray that there's anybody here that does not know what that freedom is like, that they would come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would give their lives to you completely. And Lord, we could, we could welcome them into our family, and we can be free to love them too, Lord. I thank you again for all that you've done, all that you're going to do. I thank you for your power, your grace that you've showered upon us. Help us to live in that grace day by day. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.